For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And a good morning, Birds fans. Birds 365 is in your living room or your car or uh, your office, wherever you may be consuming us. We appreciate the fact that you are, and we're counting down to a regular season. It seems like it's about nine years away, but it'll get here before you know it. And we'll try and get it here faster for you by shooting a breeze with about the birds on a day-in, day-out basis. We are the Mega Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. What kind of mood you in today, McMullen? Um, not a great mood. Had some issues with the tree in the backyard. You ever see the movie The Happening, Jody? The uh, with Happening? Mark, yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. It's the dumbest movie ever made. It's an M. Night Shyamalan movie where basically the trees turn on us. I don't want to get into the, 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 the plot of the movie. But, you know, I'm doing my business, taking out the trash this morning, taking out the recyclables, got to get the dog out. Every time I walk under the big tree in my backyard, it starts a little bit of tree rain, I like to call it, because it rained so hard last night. It's nice out this morning, but the wind goes by, and all of a sudden, this deluge, it's like it's raining, comes out of the tree. Every time I walk under the tree, it happens. And I'm like, that's weird. And, and then my dog goes out to do her business, and she does a little circular kind of roundabout and goes under the same tree. Same thing happens, Jody. The tree has turned on us. It has turned on us, like Mark Wahlberg in a happening. So I'm a little bit concerned. And I say this because the Sixers turned on Philadelphia with the worst second half of basketball you can imagine. You're uh, subscribing the Sixers to being in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Hey, that's I, not a good it thing. It was He's a, a horror movie. Man. He likes sitting at courtside. M-, M can't be doing that. He can't be writing Sixer bad movies. That's not a good Philly guy for you. No, that's not a good Philly. And it was a horror movie. That second half was a horror movie of a basketball game. So maybe we can turn people's moods around, talk a little bit about uh, a bad football team every that I think is going to be better than people think. Maybe that's a little positivity. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. We're uh, subjectively optimistic about the Eagles. We shall see if that's the case. Uh, yeah. That's tough. Game. And and you can't even get all that worked up about the section because what are you going to do? Get mad at Joel Embiid? He's yeah. the best well, player can. on your team. Yeah, He's he the is. second best player in the league. And he went over 12. This stuff happens, so you can't. You got to like shrug your shoulders and go, "Oops, our big guy let us down." Normally, when you have superstars, you don't have over twelve halves. You you can have, you can have a bad game. Everybody has bad games, but that's the thing that defines superstars. Your floor is higher than other people's floors. You find a way through it. You find a way to do some things. You don't go over twelve. Maybe it's happened, but show me the game where Kareem or 
Moses or go back to Wilt or Hakeem Olajuwon. Give me an 0 for 12. Maybe it's out there. I don't remember it. In no. a key situation, I don't remember it. And a point-blank layup from uh, about three feet away in the last 30 seconds of the game. He never misses that. He did last night. So we got a, we got a series. Uh, we got a couple series, as a matter of fact. They got four NBA series left. One is done, and the other three are 2-2. Two, two. So we'll have some uh, good basketball over the next couple. Or exciting basketball. We'll find out if it's good because you're right. The Sixers <laughs> were not good last night. That was a tough watch. In the second half. So, yeah, Johnny Mac and I, not necessarily in the best of moods, bummed out by the Sixers, lost last night. But we'll try and make it up for you here on Birds 365. Or we won't. Because uh, Johnny <laughs> Mac is much more stoked for the breaking news we got in the last 10 minutes of our show I wouldn't yesterday. call it stoked, Jody. I just think it's the best you could have done. But yeah. I don't think third-string quarterback matters that much anyway. Right. I, I am not excited about him as a third-string quarterback or any kind of player. I'm not a Nick Mullins fan. I get it. The Eagles needed to add another arm. And if you look at look at it purely from all the available quarterbacks, who's put up the biggest resume? Who's got the most on paper that you can analyze? Who's got the most touchdown passes? Well, it's Nick Mullins because he started a ton of games over the last three years including eight last year for the 49ers, including one in which he lost, that the Eagles actually won. He's one of the only four quarterbacks that the Eagles found a way to beat last year in their 4-11-1 season. It's just, I've seen enough of this guy. He can't <laughs> play in the league. I well, know that you never see him. I know third-string quarterbacks very rarely play, but anytime you add him to your roster and you're adding a player that can't play, I'm sorry, it bothers me. And chances are they could have signed someone who's never played a down in the National Football League that I would have been more <laughs> excited about than Nick Mullins. Well, they did have somebody, Jamie Newman. I would say if you were more excited about Jamie Newman than Nick Mullins, I mean, it depends on your definition. I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with your definition of you should have a developmental guy as a third-string quarterback. I can understand that. I can, uh, you know, we, we can have that debate. But if you're going to be, debate the two as players, there is no debate. So I asked, what's your definition of can't play in the NFL? This guy most definitely belongs in the NFL. If it's can't play at a winning level as a starting quarterback in the NFL, yeah, I'll agree with you. I'll probably say that. But this guy should be a backup quarterback. And if he didn't have elbow surgery in January, he would be a backup quarterback. So if you look at value – and you look at potential, if he's healthy, and we always got to put that stipulation on everything. I mean, this is one of the best third-string quarterbacks in the league. It's ironic because I think the Eagles have one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league in Joe Flacco, one of the best third-string quarterbacks in the league in Nick Mullins. But who cares? I, I mean, it's all about the starter. It's all about Jalen Hurts. And for those who say you need a developmental guy, Jody, I will say – you have a developmental guy. He happens to be the starter, though, but he's still a developmental quarterback. Yeah, I I understand the way you're looking at it, but you can't have a developmental guy as your starting quarterback. He well, moves past he moves past developmental as soon as he moves up a slot or two in the depth chart. Developmental to me, 
also ties in where you are on your depth chart. You're trying to get better. If you are the starter, you're the starter. The developmental comes oh. out of it. For me, that's the way I look at it. it might but be I think different. if you're a rookie, say if Trey Lance it, it, it plays week one for San Francisco, it's not going to happen. But say Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt or something of that nature, and he's thrown out there week one. Oh, he's a developmental quarterback, but he's also the starter. So, again, everything depends on definition. Uh, you know, maybe the Eagles want – veteran guys behind Jalen Hurts as sounding boards. We always talk about it with the coaching staff. They haven't done it with the coaching staff. I don't think it's a bad thing to have guys who've been through it before where Jalen Hurts can lean on. Um, I think it it helps you in 2022, 2021. What year are we in, Joe? 2021 more than certainly Jamie Newman or if you bring in K.J. Costello – Nick Mullins is a better player. So if, if you're truly about competition, as Nick Sirianni says, hey, they got the better player. What was the phrase that Howie Roseman used last year, the night of or the day after the draft, when the Eagles picked uh, Jalen Hurts uh, in the second round about the Eagles and quarterbacks? The, the quarterback factory you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the quarterback factory. How are you a quarterback factory if you're bringing in the ageless wonder, Joe Flacco, who's already done everything he's already done in the National Football League? I think a factory is meaning you're having something to do with the ability of the player. They've got nothing to do with the ability of Joe Flacco. Zero. Other than they wrote him a contract this offseason, which here's where I'll give Howie credit. By signing Nick Mullins, it basically allows everyone to revisit the contract that they gave Joe Flacco, which when they signed him, I thought it was a good sign. You know, I'm a Jet guy. I watched Flacco play last year. I said, you know, he's still got a little something, something. He made some good plays. He didn't win for the Jets, but he made some decent plays. He showed that he still has arm strength and the like. When they signed him, I said, okay, you know, that's not a bad sign. For a backup quarterback, Flacco's a pretty good fit here in Philadelphia. Then we got the details of the contract. And they guaranteed him money. Backup quarterbacks don't usually get the the majority of their contract guaranteed. I don't know who they were in competition with that they felt they had to do that to get Flacco's name on the dotted line, but they did. Uh, and it will now raise all those questions again because there will be a contingent of people who will say, oh, Nick Mullen should be the number two quarterback, not the number three quarterback. He's actually better than Joe Flacco. He played more than Joe Flacco. He threw more touchdown passes than Joe Flacco. No, he shouldn't. Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins just isn't that good. Uh, but if you're going to sign Joe Flacco and you're going to bring in Nick Mullins, what kind of quarterback factory is Philadelphia? If you're truly a quarterback factory, don't you find that developmental quarterback? And have him on the roster so that you can, oh, I don't know, develop him? Since you yeah, are the no. quarterback factory, you would well, think you'd be able to develop a quarterback. A couple things. And number one, I, I'd like to have fun with that quote as much as anybody, the quarterback factory, because it was so absurd at the time. It was so, it was so, it was dripped in hubris. It was dripped in ego. It was just a dumb thing to say. Uh, and that's why I enjoy to be honest, poking Howie Roseman, the Eagles, about that that comment. Howie, which people forget because people hate context, Howie walked that back immediately. 
he has said, I, I'm a basic, he, he came out and said, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I said that. But everyone doesn't care. I mean, he said it. It's out there. It's like gold standard with Jeffrey Lurie. Right. People still talk about that. So people are going to, to, to bring that up. I understand why. But again, he's already walked it back. He's already said he shouldn't say it. Uh, he shouldn't have said it. So to me, that's not as meaningful as maybe it is to some other people. Um, if you do believe you're a quarterback factory and you are dripping with that hubris and you believe you can make anybody into chicken salad, you know, from you know what, yeah, but I don't think they believe that. And he said, in essence, he made a mistake by saying that. What what he what he was really saying is we value the position. We value the position. And Everybody values the position, but Howie in the past has also said backup quarterback, and that's one of the reasons he drafted Jalen Hurts. That's one of the reasons they invested in Nick Foles back in the day, Josh McCown even. They value the position. They always want somebody at second-string quarterback. In fact, they called second-string quarterback one of the 10 most important positions in the league, which I also think is a bit overblown. You're kind of crossing your fingers. Um, so I think when you look at it from that standpoint, the fact he's walked it back, the fact that what he really meant to say is we really value this position and actually makes more sense because you want guys that can play, that can get you good through a game if they have to, if you need them, you don't need to throw somebody in the deep end of the pool. You know, the stage at the bare minimum is not going to be too big for Nick Mullins. I'm not going to say he's going to be a superstar. He's had good games. He's had bad games. But he knows how to play. And if the worst case happens, Jalen Hurts gets hurt, Joe Flacco comes in, sprains an ankle, you got to go down to your third-string quarterback to win a game, you actually have a chance to win a game with Nick Mullins. If you have a chance to win a game with your third-string quarterback, you have a good third-string quarterback. If you have Ben DiNucci – yeah, uh, I'll give you the Ben DiNucci. God, he was terrible. Another one of the few Eagle quarterbacks, a uh, few quarterbacks in the, the Eagles found a way to beat last year. That's what Ben DiNucci and Nick Mullins have in common. <laughs> they both lost to the Eagles last yeah, they, year. They had a tough time with Nick Mullins, though. They didn't. Well, besides Alex Singleton. Well, uh, uh, did did he or did he not get pulled from the game? That's pretty sad. He did. When you, you get pulled from a game against a team. I'm not trying can't. to say he's a star quarterback. I'm just saying as a third-string quarterback, I think if you were to go down the list of third-string quarterbacks, you would say, I'd rather have Nick Mullins playing than most of these guys. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, there'd be very few of those that uh, that would be true for me. He has more experience than some, but I would take the unknown of a whole bunch of quarterbacks that have never done anything in the league than the known of Nick Mullins. The known is, to me, he's not good enough. He can't win football games uh, when you put him in. Not as a starter, not as a backup. If circumstances fall into place that he needs to take the field, can he actually find a way to win the game for you? And it's almost always a no for me for Nick Mullins. So uh, this gives me next to zero level of excitement 
Uh, let me ask a rules question. You understand the rules of the National Football League. Uh, that nobody that. understands the rules. I, 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 <laughs> it's I, so I, over legislated. There's so many changes. But go ahead. I'll give. I asked it. I asked the question with the caveat that yeah, it, it's some some of the rules they have are very confusing. The Eagles could actually during the season, they could have Nick Mullins on the practice squad. Correct. Because you can be on the practice squad up until you've logged four years in the National Football League, and this would be his fourth year. So Nick uh, Nick Mullins actually is eligible for the practice squad, right? Because on game days, I don't think you need to, I don't think you should dress three quarterbacks. I think you should always only dress two because you have so much positional substitution and switching and the like just to make the most out of your roster on game day, I don't think you can afford to have three quarterbacks. And if you don't, on certain weeks, would you rather just have Nick Mullins on your practice squad uh, rather than carry him as a member of your roster? Because, again, roster management can very be very important in the National Football League, maybe a little less this year than it was last year, because we all believe we're coming in the right direction after the COVID season they had last year. It's still in place, but it's not nearly as uh, important in roster building as it was last year. They can actually put him on the practice squad, can't they? Yes, they can. That's a yes. And uh, But there is a little bit of, of, of context, as there always is, with as what I said, is a very overly legislated league. And that is, are we sticking with the 2020 rules? Or are we going back to the rules uh, prior to the pandemic? Now, it's not official yet, but people in the league have been told it's going to be the same as last year. If it's the same as last year, the practice squads are expanded, um, 16 players. Um, I believe you can have up to six, actually, uh, who are veteran players, And this was all kind of couched. It was going to expand, I think, to 12 with the new CBA. Um, And they added an extra four and some more veteran players because they thought you would need more veteran players with people testing positive, blah, blah, blah. Um, So if they keep the rules, which is the scuttlebutt going around the league, then there's no problem with it. The only problem with it is from from the aspect of, if you're going to risk putting a guy in the practice squad, two things, you got to release him first. And then um, in the case of uh, Nick, um, I don't know if he's bested or not. I have to look. He, he's right on the cusp of being vested or not. So he would either have to go through waivers or would be completely free to sign with anybody. So at that point, we just talked about, there's so many quarterback desperate teams at the end of training camp, you could have injuries by that point. I don't know if you get him on the practice squad. That's the problem with that. Would I rather have a third quarterback on the practice squad? Yes. It's not as easy to get Nick Mullins on the practice squad as it would be to get Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman, you don't lose an ounce of sleep. He's on the practice squad. That's it. Nobody's picking him up. Nick Mullins, I don't know how you get him through to the practice squad. So you almost have to carry him on the roster if you want him. Right, which is another thing that scares me because if you're going to try, now someone actually does pick him up on waivers 
and now you invested all those weeks of getting them up to speed, and oh, shoot, you still need a QB3. And now you got to pick somebody up off the street, and you got to try and get them up to speed. That's why it's better to have a developmental quarterback at this stage. Well, you just keep them on the roster. You just keep them on the roster. You know, I mean, the 53rd guy, for all we talk about the competition and blah, 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 the 53rd on the guy on the roster is not going to play anyway. He's going to get scratched. He's not going to be active on game days. So who cares? You have you have those slots you're playing with. So just keep him on the roster. And so you just Simple. say in, inactive, but he's one of your inactives every single week. Well, you can make him inactive, or if you're concerned, yeah, each and every week you can do whatever you want to do. But you're going to have to keep him on the roster. Right. Uh, the, the Eagles roster is not good enough deep enough, fortified enough that I could waste it on Nick Mullins. That's just me. If well, I was if it's not Irish. deep enough, you shouldn't be worried about losing the 53rd player, Jody, because it's not deep enough. So who cares is ultimately what I'm saying. You right. got to keep them. But you're not getting them on the practice squad, if that's your question. Uh, not going to happen. Probably not. Uh, that's why I uh, don't don't necessarily agree with a move that brings in an established player as your third string QB. I don't think it makes any sense. All right. Uh, we're going to get our first time out of the day in here. When we return, Jeff Kerr, NFL insider for CBSSports.com, is going to join us. He just did an interesting story on a little historical perspective of a former Eagle general manager. That's just one of the things we'll talk about with Jeff Kerr from CBS next. Here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. We are your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Thank you for jumping aboard. We still got plenty of football left to talk to you today on. And we're going to get a helping hand. Our buddy Jeff Kerr from CBSSports.com going to be good enough to come on with us for a couple of minutes today. Jeff, how's your summer going? Uh, pretty good, Jody and John. Uh, actually going to the Baseball Hall of Fame for the first time this weekend. So I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, that's a fun time. Yeah, Cooperstown is great. Canton, uh, I assume you've been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's They're all great, but the only two I've been to are football, um, uh, football, baseball, basketball. Uh, haven't been to hockey yet, uh, and who knows? There's going to be someday, Jody and I are big wrestling fans, there's going to be a WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, We're waiting I- for that. Yeah, I was at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was 2018. It was a couple months after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So they allowed the Super Bowl artifacts. And they unveiled the video, of uh, the Super Bowl highlight video. And I never saw so many Eagles fans in the room in my life. <laughs> there was one Patriots fan in there. I felt so bad for him. And he walked out <laughs> when Brady bubbled the ball. It was probably the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. That's funny. Thanks for uh, sharing that story with us. Speaking of sharing stories, I did uh, catch your one of your latest on CBSSports.com uh, about the Eagles and the fact that uh, years ago uh, they had the first ever female general manager in the league. We're seeing a lot of advancement for women in organizations around the National Football League, but the Eagles kind of were ahead of the curve years ago with uh, Toe Spencer being the first ever general manager uh, in uh, profession in professional football. Um, what was it the fact that we're seeing all these new hirings in the NFL that spurred you on to doing a, a turn back the clock story on the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah. When the Eagles are promoted, I can never pronounce her last name. Uh, Catherine, um, John, John probably knows how to pronounce her last name. Uh, Led, Led, Rache, yeah. Yeah, Rache, 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 that's it. And so I was like, you know, she's probably the closest to being the first female uh, general manager. But I remember uh, I've talked to Marty uh, Schneider a, a bunch of times, uh, Tosa's uh, daughter. So I was like, okay, you know, let me ask her. She would know. And she goes, well, my mom technically was the first woman general manager. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, do you want to talk about it? Or, you know, could I talk to Susan about it? And she you know, she told me, well, obviously Susan's 89 years old. So, and she's battling Alzheimer's right now. So that was unfortunate, but I got together with her and, and Marnie and pretty much they told the story of when she was the first woman general manager. And I'm like, well, let's talk about the Eagles moving to Phoenix. And I had a story in there and you know, it, it, it turned out really good. You know, I, I actually thought the toast is, you know, were basically on board with the Eagles going to Phoenix, but it turned out to be the opposite of what I was told. It 
you know, they were the reason why they didn't go to Phoenix and pretty much why they ultimately had to sell the team. Yeah, I do, I do think a lot of people look at Leonard Tose as the villain, as somebody kind of uh, uh, formulating that plan to get out of what were the gambling debts, to be perfectly honest. So that's kind of the story. But also, I do think she's overlooked because she was his daughter. So people look at it. We had Amy Trask on this show. If you talk to people in the NFL, she's the highest ranking female exec in league history. But she was... That's correct because she was the team president. So you have to you have to pick out sort of these contextual things. And everyone says Catherine Race, highest ranking female personnel executive. So that's how they they kind of get a, around it. But it is interesting, Jeff, that uh, the glass ceiling was broken so long ago, and so few people remember it. So it was brilliant that you got that story. Yeah, and. I actually talked to Amy Trask about it. You know, if she had any interactions with her and at the time, she was an intern for the Raiders. So yeah. she said, you know, it, it was kind of few and far between it, if anything. But yeah, I always thought Susan Toe Spencer, her story was really interesting because she let a lot of what most good CEOs do as a general manager, she let everybody else do the work, but she ran things like, I didn't realize how much Toast actually spent on the Eagles just trying to make the players happy with the chartered flights and all that. And that's how uh, she said Howard Eskin gave her the, the Wicked Witch of the Vet <laughs> Monta because it went from let's go on these luxurious flights to, oh, yeah, we can save a little bit of money here or, you know, or they'd have these flamboyant meals that Lertos would give them. It, it was a first-class organization, and it still was when she was there, but she found a way how to just – Cut a little bit of cost, and um, she actually told me a story. Uh, Steve Zabel, uh, the Eagles' first round pick in the seventies, when he went to the Patriots, he would call the Eagles back and specifically call Leonard Toast and complain about how the Patriots treat their players like garbage <laughs> compared to the Eagles. And you know, if there was free agency at the time, I have a feeling Leonard Toast would have gotten everybody on the Eagles because we're oh. travel fans around the NFL of how well the Eagles treated their players. Yeah, and uh, the guy he ended up selling the team to, Norman Brayman, let the greatest player in Eagles history, Reggie White, walk out the door in free agency. I doubt that would have happened if Leonard Toast was still running the Eagles. Uh, one of the things that you told me in the, the story that I had never known, and this, again, was before I actually came to Philadelphia and got on the air in Philadelphia, was that when Brayman did buy the team, he actually wanted to keep Toes' daughter in an executive position. Yeah, he hired uh, someone to become the general manager, but he wanted to keep her on as part of the front office, huh? Yeah, he. it pretty much went down to, hey, we love the job you did here. We want to keep you in a high-ranking position. It was more of old boss, your, fa your father, a new boss, a little bit of conflict there. It, it just didn't feel right, and she was ready to move on at that point. And I asked, you know, did did she want to get involved in football? It, you know, did she want to stay involved in football? And just said, you know, that it was fun the three years she did it. But I guess they went through so much between the possible relocation and, you know, the Eagles basically just trying to stay afloat. The product on the field wasn't good. I mean, who knows how long Marion Campbell would have actually been the head coach. If, uh, he probably would have been fired after 85 anyway, but – it seemed like they were doing a lot of good things. Like she said, she was initially involved in the process of Reggie White, you know, Randall Cunningham, obviously she played a big role in, but a lot of people that 
succeeded under Buddy Ryan. It seems like she had a little bit of an involvement in getting them here. Yeah, Jeff, it's interesting. Jody and I were talking about the quarterback factory comment before you came on the show. So, you know, when things like that happen, you know, a lot of people forget that how he walked that back and he said, I shouldn't have said that, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with sort of the meld between Leonard Tose and Norman Brayman. Norman Brayman was the cheap guy. Norman Brayman was the guy who, you know, made the players buy their own socks and all those stories. And I think it kind of gets melded together for whatever reason with Leonard Tose. Oh, the Eagles are cheap. The Eagles, you're still here today. And it's one of the teams that that spend the most money in football. You'll still hear certain fans, older fans, say they're cheap. And it's tough to overcome that. And I think Leonard Toast kind of got a little bit wrapped up to that by de facto his daughter as well. Yeah, and it's a shame that I read an article. I think it was from the L.A. Times. And I was doing research for this story. I think it was like from 92 or 93 in the interview Leonard Toast. He actually admitted he didn't know how much money he spent at Atlantic City one night. Atlantic City was probably the worst thing that ever happened to Leonard Toast. If the Eagles were probably in Phoenix, he, you know, one, he, he fixes his gambling debt, and two, yeah, he's four hours from Vegas, no doubt, but four hours from Vegas is a lot different than an hour and a half from Atlantic City, uh, you know, assuming with no traffic. But, yeah, I just, I, I just felt bad for you know, when they're telling the story about it, I'm like, wow, you know, it, it just seemed like he just liked to spend money or he spent money. There. He didn't know what to do with all, all the money he had. I mean, all the money off the trucking business and then he spends it on the football team and then he goes to the casino and spends it. And it, it's, it, you know, it's honestly a tragic tale what happened to Larry Toast. It's, if he doesn't have those gambling debts, maybe the Toast is still on the Eagles today. It's uh, all about... Who's running the organization? And that was Leonard Toza Day into Norman Brayman's Day. Now into Jeff Laurie's Day. And we talk about him all the time here on the show. How much influence does Jeff Laurie actually have? At times, people believe, all right, he's backed off and he's letting his football people run the show. At other times, Jeff Laurie is basically deciding everything because the people that he's hired and put in charge know exactly what he wants and they're going to implement it and make it happen uh, from an outsider perspective, someone who's not here covering Eagles on a day in day out basis. How do you believe Jeff Laurie is perceived across the league? Well, a lot of you, I should say from a national perspective, He's not like he's Jerry Jones. I, I I know when I see a lot of Philly fans on Twitter, be like, oh, Jeffrey Lurie's trying to be like Jerry Jones. I'm like, no, that's not true at all. I just think he – I want to say he just throws his input in there or throws his hat in the ring. I don't think Jeffrey Lurie actually tries to play the role of general manager, but he also knows he can talk to Howie Roseman, his guy, his confiant. You know, this is the one guy he trusts more than anybody else, and I feel like a lot of owners – have that. I always thought uh, the Baltimore Ravens owners had that with Ozzie Newsom for a lot of years. And, you know, Ozzie Newsom obviously retired. And I thought the Maras probably felt that way with, um, um, uh, what was their GM's name? Um, uh, Ernie Akersen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going George Young on me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking of George Young at first. And I'm like, well, we'll, we'll go a little more. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel like every – owner kind of has that and in a way it was kind of like Leonard Toast with his daughter it's the one person you can trust out of everybody in that organization I feel like that's how Jeffrey Lurie treats him with Howie Rose 
Well, he did have Joe Banner as well, who was his right-hand yeah. man. So for people who think it can't end, it can end. Everything, Jeffrey, Life, Jeffrey Lurie does have a shelf life on everybody. He's kind of proven that. I think from my perspective, Jeff, post-Super Bowl 52, he seems to get more involved. There's that uh, Jeff McClain report that uh, after the Eagles upset the Green Bay Packers, uh, wasn't happy. <laughs> Uh, went into Doug Peterson and said, why aren't we throwing the ball here? Bad team just upsets a great team. You would think you would be happy by hook or by crook to get a win. Is Nick Sirianni going to face that same kind of criticism from his owner? Um, do you see that changing with age? Is It, it seems to only been increasing at this point, Jeff. Yeah, I feel like Nick Sirianni will probably go through the same stuff Peterson did in a sense, but I think being a younger guy, maybe, and a first-time head coach, I mean, Doug Peterson was a first-time head coach, obviously, but Nick Sirianni, being a younger guy, he'll probably be like, yeah, sure, okay, you know, or I'll work my way through this like most young guys do, but you're Doug Peterson, you're in your 50s, you're probably thinking, I just want to, the only Super Bowl in franchise history, I shouldn't have to put up with this anymore. Oh, by the way, it's not like I never played in the yeah. NFL for 14 years. I've, I've never done this. I've never done that. You know, who are you to tell me this? And it probably just got mentally exhausting at that point. Then you're dealing with the Carson Wentz situation and everything else that's going on in that locker room, all the injuries, and just the whole, you know, can I do this again? Whereas you got Nick Sirianni, a young guy, an energetic guy. He probably and will embrace Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman saying stuff to him right away because he's probably thankful for the opportunity that – He's going to be a head coach, and he'll work his way around that. But I, I just hope the Eagles let Nick Sirianni kind of do his thing a little bit. Like Jeffrey Lurie, he can give his input, but pull back the reins a bit. Jeff, that's the reason why we like having guys like yourself on because uh, we're involved this, with this on a day-in, day-out basis. We not only analyze it, we probably overanalyze it down to the smallest of details. From afar, give us your perception of the Nick Sirianni era here in Philadelphia. From the time he was hired up until last week when he said, happy uh, summer vacation, everybody, and let him walk out the door. Uh, have you liked what you've seen? Has he shown you anything that you said, hey, this guy's got a chance to work? Or did he show you anything that he said, oh, my God, what the Eagles do when they handed him the reins? Well, we were actually laughing when he made the rock, paper, scissors comment. I'm listening to the press conference, and I said, guys, I think we might have, from a national perspective, I'm like, we got to have a story here. Nick Sariani, he plays rock, paper, scissors with, you know, with his players and you know, for competition purposes. But overall, the general feeling is, at least around the NFC East, they seem to like what Nick Sariani is doing, how he's bringing competition around the NFL, like even the Nick Mullins signing. It, yeah, it's a third quarterback. But in a way, Joe Flacco's got me looking over his shoulder thinking, wow, this guy can actually take my job as a number two. And I, I feel like the Eagles, they're a deeper team than they were last year, but I feel like there's more competition at a lot of positions, specifically the offensive line. You look at Jordan Milana, Andre Diller, Jack Driscoll can come in. Nate Herbert can come in. Uh, Sua Opeta can can come in. Guys like that. And the same with the defensive line. Like You didn't need to add Ryan Kerrigan, but you did. And now all of a sudden, you fill the hole there. So say Derek Bardad or Josh Sweater or whoever doesn't work out, you can fill Ryan Kerrigan there. Uh, really, uh, the only position I think that's weak, that's ridiculously weak on this football team is cornerback. And the way the Eagles are going, I wouldn't be surprised to see them add another cornerback in there just, just for competition. So I like what they're trying to do. And 
I don't think it's a rebuilding year per se in Philadelphia. I think it's a retooling year. Well, retooling, Jeff, transition. I've asked this of a lot of people, so I want to get your thoughts on this. The Eagles seem to go through this same cycle since Super Bowl 52. Uh, They thought the championship window was open, understandably so. Uh, They probably thought it was open a little bit too long. Uh, And then Howie Roseman started to come out and say, you know what, we got to get younger after the final loss, whether it's loss in the playoffs to Seattle, terrible season last year. We got to get younger. We got to get more cost effective. We got to turn this thing over. That's what he says after the season. As the offseason moves on, they start to think to themselves, uh, we're a little bit better than other people think we are. And then you see the Ryan Kerrigan's come in. You see the Nick Mullins come in. As you mentioned, I think you're going to see a corner come in at some point. Who knows? Uh, we're in that phase right now. Should the Eagles be more disciplined? For instance, Jody thinks they need a developmental quarterback, not just at a quarterback position, but that should they be more disciplined with their plan to get younger and more cost-effective moving forward? I think so, but this was a weird year, too, for quarterbacks. Like Jamie Newman had to be absolutely terrible to not even make it out of minicamp, basically. I mean, that's how big he was. And this was a weird draft where I kept be- – basically, the general consensus was after the fourth round, these guys are pretty much undrafted free agents. Don't waste your time on a lot of these picks. Try to get rid of them if you can and try to build for 2022. Maybe the Eagles think that too. Hey, we'd rather have a guy who's proven in here like Nick Mullins, and then we can draft that developmental player in 2022, whether that's a cornerback or a lot of position. Like, I was shocked they claimed on Johnson off waivers because I actually think he's a pretty decent player. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it because the Colts like to run the ball with you know, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, when and Marlon Mack, when, when he does come back. And it's going to be the same thing with the Eagles. I think you're going to see Miles Sanders, on Johnson, uh, Boston Scott, uh, whoever they want to put in there, um, you know, uh, Kenny Gainwell. So that's where my line of thinking was there. But, yeah, it's just a weird – it was just a weird year with COVID and a lot of these players getting that extra year of eligibility, staying in school. So I think the Eagles are looking at it as, okay, 2022 is the year we're going to really get younger and develop these guys because they have, what, 10 draft picks in 2022? So far, and we'll see how, how it increases from there. But real quick follow-up, Jeff, what makes you think they're going to be disciplined this year? That's the point. It seems to be a constant cycle – They'll say it after they finish eight and nine, as Jody and I predicted. And hey, we got to get younger. We got to do more of this. And then the same cycle will happen. Are, yeah. are, are we stuck in NFL purgatories? It's like the only time I ever thought the Eagles actually committed to a rebuild was Andy Reid's first year when they drafted Donovan McNabb and they had a lot of those draft picks because they were three and 13. They were terrible in 98. I mean, you guys know that. I knew that. Yeah. And, you know, that year it was more about getting better, and they were a terrible football team the first half of that season. I remember they just kept building, and you know they upset the Patriots and knocked them out of the playoffs, and that Week 17 game against the Rams was essentially meaningless, but they won a big game for them, and they just carried that momentum in the 2000. They probably were a year better. You know, When they went 11-5 in 2000, they were probably a lot better than what they actually were, so the rebuild was quicker. But I, I wish this team kind of would have done that, just given Jalen Hurts the weapons he needed and kind of move forward there. But 
I think the Eagles are looking at this NFC East is terrible. And mm-hmm. you know, the Giants, I think they're fool's gold. I really do. Um, they're, I don't think Daniel Jones is that great. I think their offensive line is god-awful. They ain't helping sure. there. Dallas is Dallas. You know, they should win the division. But And Washington, they have a great defense. But can we really count on Ryan Fitzpatrick? Unless they somehow pull off a heist again, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. I think the Eagles feel the same thing, you know, everybody else does. Hey, maybe nine or ten wins wins the division. We can do that. Yeah, we'll find out if they can. John and I actually optimistically have them up there eight. I don't think they're going to be an above 500 team. But I will say this in Howie Roseman's defense. A couple of the moves that John was referring to, The I thought we were getting younger, and then they make decisions to bring in players who aren't that. They got Ryan Kerrigan on a very expensive contract. Word is, although no one has officially confirmed it, Nick Mullins is here on a league veteran minimum contract. Oh, no question. Yeah. They haven't spent money. They haven't hurt themselves cap-wise to do what they have to do, even if they're bringing in someone who keeps them from handing the roster spot to a younger guy. Now, in Nick Mullen's case, I would have given to a younger guy. I don't care. I, I don't even know who that younger guy is. I just wanted to see them go with a younger guy. I don't understand why you bring in a veteran for your third-string quarterback, but... Could that be the case at the cornerback position? John and I to bring this up on a day-in, day-out basis. When are they going to get the other starting cornerback across from Darius Slay? And another day comes off the calendar, and another day comes off the calendar. Could we, could we be looking at the Michael Jackett era? Could they actually go <laughs> with some God, of the I young guys <laughs> they have on their roster? His agent will be coming after me on Twitter if I tweet about Michael Jaquette again. Uh, that, that That's a funny story. I, I don't think I've ever told you guys that. But he he roasted me on Twitter a week 16. I'm like, you know what your client's doing, right? Like, he, every time they throw the ball his way, he's given up a catch for a lot of yards. But uh, anyway, I digress there. But, yeah, you know, I keep thinking, okay, Steven Nelson would be a guy they look at. I thought maybe Rashad Breeland would be their cheap fix. He went to Minnesota. But I think the Eagles are actually kind of – looking to see how this Stephon Gilmore contract plays out because he's only oh. seven and a half million. And, you know, you just don't know. You can get this player on a deal. Maybe you sign him and you're going to sign a cornerback anyway in, in free agency next year and probably draft one because Darius Slay ain't getting any younger. Maybe the Eagles think, hey, you know what? We're a number two cornerback away from potentially being the best defense in this division. I know they're not. That's obviously Washington. But, you know, you you start thinking about that, then, you know, obviously my mind's going now, okay, you got Anthony Harris, you got Rodney McLeod, think of, think of Gilmore, think of Slay. Hey, you never know. Maybe they're keeping tabs on that market. Maybe they feel they can only give up a second or third round pick for the guy. I love it. Jeff is falling down the rabbit hole. The Rosie, you're talking yourself into it. I love it. I'm just embracing my inner Philadelphia. I keep thinking my teams are actually better than they are, and the Sixers reminded me last oh. night, maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, that well, they should be that good, but the Eagles, I don't know. It, it, you know, Stephon Gilmore, look, you'd love to have the player, but we're we're talking about this team from a salary cap standpoint. I think they have a little under five million. They still get a sign Landon Dickerson. Jody's worried about that. He's the only person in the world worried about that. Um, he'll be signed, they, Jody. Don't worry. Yeah, they'll, they'll be. Uh, he'll be so they'll have they can make the move. You can do whatever you want to do. They can do some different things that fit Stephon Gilmore in. From a player perspective, he would help. I said the same thing about Julio Jones. 
this is just not the time, though. In, in my essence, this is the time to get those startup costs out of the way for Zach McPherson's of the world. If you believe in him, look, I don't want him to start either. I think it's going to be really, really bad if he starts. But at some point, let's kickstart this developmental process with some of these younger players. That's where I am. Yeah, I agree. And I'll bring back the 1999 Eagles again. Like Barry Gardner started. He had no business being on a football field. Yeah. His entire time in Philly. But at least the Eagles saw right away what this guy was made of. And they, they kind of did the same with uh, Jermaine Mayberry when um, Ray Roach drafted him. Remember, he was benched at one point. He was a yeah. tackle. Andy Reid moved him to guard, and the rest is history. Uh, I felt like a lot of those teams, they, they played guys. Maybe they weren't ready, but then you find a diamond in the rough, like a Jeremiah Trotter. That's what I kept thinking, like a, a Devion Taylor. Maybe, maybe the guy is something, but when Eric Wilson and Alex Singleton in there, where's this guy going to see the field? I just don't know. That's what I said, Jeff. Real quick. Sorry, Jody. Davion Taylor, I just throw him in the deep end of the pool and say, you know what? Eric Wilson's okay. Alex Singleton's okay, but they're not good enough. Throw him in the deep end of the pool and see if he can play. If he can't, you know it. And then you plug the hole. You put the Band-Aid with Singleton and Wilson. But he's got talent. Let's see. You drafted him. Let's see if he can play. The only team I swear in the NFL that say they really like a player after the draft, we liked him so much we have to get and actually plays the guy are Andy Reid and Bruce Arians. And look what they end up with. They end up in the Super Bowl. Like Howie Rosen said, oh, we love Zach McPherson. We would have taken him in the third round. Well, if you like him that much, play him. Like, I, like this isn't, you know, minor league baseball here. We only need five years to develop these players. Yeah. And, if you think he's good enough and that position's beat, especially I think he could be a really good slot corner in this league. Play him. I mean, look what Avante Maddox did his rookie year. He was one of the best nickel cornerbacks in football when you played. Things I worry about. Yes, Landon Dickerson not being signed yet. <laughs> yes, Zach Ertz still here, even though he's been traded every day for the last, what, four, five, six months? Pretty much uh, as he said he wanted out. Yes, the Eagles are going to get a true, proven cornerback, too, somewhere in this league one of these days. Still hasn't happened I'll give you one thing that I'm not worried about that some people are. And that's a 166-pound wide receiver who is going to be the Eagles' number one wide receiver this year and I think an excellent candidate for rookie of the year on the offensive side in the National Football League. I'm sure we asked you about it last time, but let me put it to you again, Jeff. Does the undersized element of Devonta Smith's game, a.k.a. 166 pounds, give you any pause for concern that this kid's going to step in day one and be a star player in this league? Oh, I think he's going to be absolutely fine. I mean, he's played against NFL cornerbacks in the SEC. He's played against NFL defenders in the SEC. And the guy just doesn't get hurt. Uh, I just feel like this uh, Devonta Smith, he has that frame, but I think he really does take care of his body. I, I You know, when I was talking to him prior to the draft, like stuff he – he does that most normal people don't do. It's, you know, he was telling me about, I mean, obviously he has a deal with Theragun, but he was telling me how he uses Theragun before and after practice. He said, you wouldn't believe what it does to my muscle. And, you know, I, I can truly believe that because I have a Theragun. I know what it does after I, I, I have a run. It, it, you feel as good as new. And I feel like that's part of the routine he has to take care of his body. You know, obviously we're going to worry every time he gets hit hard, but I've seen him get hit hard by Patrick Sertan in practice. And, He's been able to get right back up. I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. I, I, 
I'm with you, Jody. I honestly feel he's going to be one of those guys. He's just going to make an instant impact no matter what he does. Like, I don't know if he'll have Justin Jefferson. That's numbers because that's asking a lot. But I think the guy is going to be exciting to watch every time the football's thrown at him. Yeah, I mean, Devontae won me over, Jeff. Last one from me, and thank you for joining the program as always. He won me over in OTAs because, you know, they're not doing anything out there, bottom line. And he looks different than everybody else. You can tell, okay, this guy's different than any other receiver on the field. And obviously the Eagles drafted a receiver in the first round last year uh, as well in Jalen Rager. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, a second-round pick. He looks like a different species than those guys. He's just a better player, and yeah. it's not close. Yeah, so honestly, my concern is – sorry, Jeff. My concern is the other two receivers. Did, did the dominoes fall into place because Devontae Smith is so good? I think it will impact Jalen Riker significantly. Like, when the Eagles drafted Jalen Riker, I like the pick. Uh, I like Justin Jefferson, too. But I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing here. They want to get a deep ball threat. They want to get a guy that could be a difference maker in an offense where you honestly felt like J.J. Ortega Whiteside was going to take the next step and you had other guys – on, you had Deshaun Jackson. I, that's what I thought they initially drafted Jalen Rager for. Now you got Devonta Smith in there to take all the attention off the defense. Now Jalen Rager all of a sudden is that deep threat, and I feel like that's really going to benefit him. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, I don't want to say the guy's a lost cause because I've seen receivers do well in their third year. See, Nelson Aguilar, but – he, you just got to show more than what he showed. I mean, there are guys – I think Julio Jones had more catches in a game than, <laughs> you know, J.J. Ardega-Whiteside had in his career at this point. It's, it's actually kind of sad. But yeah, Jalen Rager, I'm not giving up hopes on. I think the guy has confidence. I think he has the swagger, if you will, the, the mentalities to succeed in the NFL. He just needs – the opportunity. I thought he was getting that a little bit with Jalen Hurst toward the end of the year. Now you got Devonta Smith lined up, and you're going to put Jalen Rager in the slot. I, I think he's going to have, I don't want to say a big second year, but I think he's going to make an impact in this offense. All right. Uh, let's bring it full circle, Jeff. You started by telling us uh, you had a trip to Cooperstown coming up, but you had been to Canton, and you got to see the Eagles Super Bowl championship film shortly after that year. Guy who I'm sure was prominent in that was Nick Foles. What's going to happen with Nick Foles this year? Right now, for me, he's the Bears' third-string quarterback. If you tell me that Justin Fields, who was drafted high in the first round, is going to be the developmental quarterback and sit on the bench and be inactive on game days, I'm telling you the Bears are uh, running the risk of them pulling Soldier Field down <laughs> from the studs by the fans if he's not even dressed on game day, if Nick Foles is the backup quarterback, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. What are the Bears going to do? Is there any chance he's traded? Is he going to be released? Uh, there are a lot of Nick Foles fans in this town that just love the guy and think he walks on water. Where is he walking on water when the football season starts? I believe that'll be the New York Jets. They are a team that needs a number two quarterback. They need a veteran. Um yeah, obviously Zach Wilson's going to be the starter there, but you need somebody in case he goes down. And the Jets really don't have one right now. I feel like that's where he's going to end up. It's just funny how Nick Foles succeeds here and doesn't succeed anywhere else. And when Chicago drafted Justin Fields, I wish people would have saw me like in front of my computer. I was doing like the fist pumps. I was like, "All right, the Bears actually did something right for once. They they're actually they actually don't believe Andy Dalton's going to be their starting quarterback, which is awesome." So. 
I'm, then I'm starting thinking, okay, Nick Foles is on the hook for $7 million this year. They're really going to keep this guy on the roster? I, I don't think so. And he probably, you know, it's a shame because I actually thought he was better than Mitchell Trubisky for a little bit last year, and then Trubisky came back and kind of disproved that theory. But, yeah, I honestly feel like Nick Foles is going to end up somewhere like the New York Jets. There's going to be a team that needs a backup quarterback. Uh, if he would have came here, obviously, I would have been ecstatic because the Foles jersey would have, you know, came off uh, from being hung up in the closet. But, it, it, you know, all kidding aside, it's, you know, that that chapter in Eagles life is, is over. I'm kind of glad he's not back. But I feel like, you know, the New the New York Jets would be a nice little fit for him. Um, the Arizona Cardinals have a backup quarterback now. They have Colt McCoy. Uh, I'll tell you one team I think that actually should take a look at him too. Seattle's backup quarterback situation's a mess. I know Russell Wilson never misses a game, but you could live with Nick Foles sitting behind Russell Wilson and just being there. Like I don't think they would miss a beat. Nick Foles was in Seattle. Yeah, and Geno Smith, I'm a Jet guy, so uh, I can vouch for the fact that Geno Smith, much like Nick Mullins, should never actually see the field in the National <laughs> Football League. Again, my evalu- quarterback-evaluated status. And for you Nick Foles fans out there, maybe it's just a green thing. Being a Jet, it could actually yeah. work out. You're right, once he gets out of Eagle Green, it seems like it always goes badly. Maybe he could actually play well for another team. It just has to be a green team. We shall see. Jeff, we appreciate you coming on board today. Thanks, buddy. You know we'll tap into you when the season gets a little bit closer. Thanks for this morning. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks, guys. John, Jody, enjoy your summer. Um, I hope the Eagles don't drive you guys absolutely insane while they're waiting for that second quarterback. Already have, Jeff. Every Thanks. other day. We'll we'll yeah. be here every day wondering when is this the day the Eagles get a CB2. We shall see. Jeff, thank you. Uh, that is uh, our buddy Jeff Kerr from uh, CBSSports.com. Go to CBSSports.com and read the article for you Eagle fans who don't know the history of when the Eagles were the first team in the National Football League to have a woman general manager. All right? It actually was the owner's daughter. So they're might have been a little uh, nepotism involved there. Shocking. Nepotism in football, Jody? And it only matters with women. I'm surprised. It's not a problem with guys, but it, it matters with women. I, They've been doing that for years. It is the first. It should be. Jeff's right. I'm glad Jeff did the story. It, 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 it really is kind of tells you how long it's been. And you think about that breaking the glass ceiling, so to speak, and yet we still are where we are in 2021. And Catherine Raich, obviously, you know, Jeffrey Laurie and the Eagles probably didn't even realize they had a woman's GM you know, because obviously this regime wasn't involved in it. No, and it was a while ago now, but it is a story worth uh, retelling. And Jeff does a really good job with it. All right. It's the Magamag guys. We'll come back. I'm going to give you a name of a guy who I'd like to see the Eagles get as their QB3. Yeah, I know. They just got their QB3. But I'm Nick Foles? Trying, I'm Nick trying Foles? to run. Not Nick Foles. I'm going to pass on both Nicks. Not Foles, not Mullins. But there is a guy who I'm just projecting the possibility he could become available yeah. if he, they try and sneak him onto the practice squad. I would put a claim in for him. We'll talk more quarterback here on Birds 365 in just a sec. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. 
It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. 
It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here with Young Birds 365. John McMullen, Jordan McDonald hanging out. Uh, thank uh, Jeff for hopping on. Uh, he's a good guest. Uh, I'd never had him on, uh, which is weird because I do shows for CBS Sports Radio. And it was Johnny Mac who uh, asked Jeff to join us for the first time. Um, but a Philly guy with some Philly roots, you can tell when he gives his answers. He's a Philadelphia fan who doesn't try, tries not to show his rooting colors when he comes on, but he can't help himself. <laughs> so we appreciate him hopping on board. And we had a couple of quarterback questions for him because <clears throat> it is the number one position in the NFL. It's the most important. It's the most talked about. And we were talking about start today because the Eagles signed Nick Mullins is there to be three. Not a big fan of the signing. I don't think Nick Mullins can play a little bit. I think the Eagles would be better served with a developmental quarterback rather than a guy who, yeah, I know he's only in his fourth year in the league, but he's already had the chance. He's jumped in. He's played. He's hey, by lost. the way, Jody, I just figured out uh, before the break why I like the Nick Mullins signing so much. Oh, so much now. So I was accurate yeah. when I yeah. said earlier well, about your... It's a little bit of a bit because okay. it finally shuts the door on Nick Bowles. I don't have to talk Nick Bowles anymore. The Eagles have three quarterbacks, and they have been trench quarterbacks with Joe Flacco and Nick Mullins. So no more Nick Bowles. We could talk about it with the Jets. We could talk about it with the Seahawks, the Bears, anybody else. No more Nick Bowles. Despite the fact that you'll talk about anybody other than Nick Bowles, I do want to talk about someone that – I could see the Eagles. I would like to see the Eagles make a play for it. Now, a couple of things would have to happen for this person to come into play, but I can actually project at least a possibility of it. And then if I were the Eagles, I would immediately claim him and uh, give Nick Mullins a uh, pair of uh, tickets back out to the West Coast. Thanks much for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed your cheesesteaks. Go back to the uh, other coast. Um the team that I'm looking at, because to get a guy who you think is a developmental quarterback, you need to have an entrenched big time. Uh, you know, he's going to be the quarterback for the next several years, if not a decade in place. And then you have to have a number two guy that the <clears> team <throat> has made a specific decision about either. He's been a backup before, or they went out and signed him as a free agent. And then you got the third guy who, at one point, they may have had higher aspirations for him, but because of certain developments, those aspirations have lessened. It's the Buffalo Bills that I'm looking at. Because uh, we know they've got their starting quarterback, and he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. He established himself as that last year. During the offseason, they went out and got Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> They're hoping a change of scenery <sighs> for Mitch Trubisky uh, is going to do wonders for him. I don't know if it is or isn't, but at least they were the team that was most aggressive to go out and get Trubisky, and he did sign there where you would have thought there were other places he could have landed where he might even have a chance to compete for the job, not be handed it, but at least a competition's going to be have. You know, that's not happening in Buffalo. So they had to like the kid and sell him on the fact that they're bringing him in 
to Buffalo for a reason. Sitting on the Buffalo bench, he did not get into a game last year. They used Matt Barkley as their backup quarterback last year in Buffalo. We know Matt Barkley here a little bit in Philadelphia. And I'm not a big Matt Barkley fan either, but yet he was the guy that Buffalo called on when they yeah. had to put their backup quarterback into the game. They never actually got Jake Fromm into a game last year. They used a draft pick on him last year. Fromm never did play. I'm guessing the organization was not wowed or that they had certain expectations and he didn't live up to them. I was surprised he wasn't their backup quarterback this past year. They've had Davis Webb on their roster for the last couple of years, former Giant, former Jet, who they have kind of hit on their practice squad the last couple of years. Maybe there's something about Davis Webb they like. I did get to see enough of Davis Webb. He does nothing for me. But Jake Fromm, if they try and put him on the practice squad this year, if you were the Philadelphia Eagles, would you claim a Jeff Fromm and cut a Nick Mullins? Well, I I, you, I have to see, number one, I have to see where Nick Mullins is from an elbow standpoint. As I said, he, he's coming off elbow surgery in January. Originally, people thought it was going to be Tommy John's surgery and he'd be out for the entire year. And that's one of the reasons uh, he wasn't signed until he was signed. Ultimately, it was a less serious procedure and he's going to be ready for training camp. So, number one, if he's not healthy, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll look at everybody, uh, Jake Brom and every other uh, player that hits the waiver wire. If he can't play, he can't play. If he can't throw, he can't throw. If the Nick Mullins from pre-elbow surgery shows up and he's healthy and he's ready to go and the procedure worked and he's completely clear, no, I'm not going to worry myself about Jake Fromm, about a fifth-round pick who hasn't played. Uh, you know, it, it always depends on evaluation. If the Eagles loved him coming out of the draft, uh, maybe they would they would take a look at it. But I would say he got drafted in the fifth round. If they loved him so much, they might have pulled that trigger a little bit earlier uh, in the fourth round, third round, what have you. Well, no, no, because they had already taken Jalen Hurts in the second round. You're not going to take Jalen Hurts in the second well, round yeah. and turn around and take Jake Fromm in the third or fourth. Yeah, so, but my point is they decided on their quarterback. They decided on their developmental quarterback, Jody. Unfortunately, the plan didn't work because the starting quarterback shit the bed, for lack of a better term. So all of a sudden, the developmental guy, your plan is now the starter, and we talked about they already have a developmental quarterback because he's still developing, is your starting quarterback, and they've gone the route of surrounding him with veteran guys who've done it before, seen that, done that. Joe Flacco at a higher level, certainly, than Nick Mullins, but both have played uh, in NFL games. Both have won NFL games. That's the plan. I think that plan is – I don't think the plan is to go with another uncertainty who's never played uh, before uh, in Jake Fromm. I understand your theory. If Joe Flacco was the starter uh, and he was still playing at a high level – and I'm not trying to say there's any competition because there isn't. I'm saying Joe Flacco in Baltimore before the ACL surgery. I'm saying he's your entrenched starting quarterback. And 
and you brought in Nick Mullins to be your backup, then I'd say, yeah, why not? Take a flyer. Take a flyer, Jake Fromm. Take a flyer on anybody who's on the waiver wire. I don't care. But for their plan, I think their plan, because their starting quarterback is a developmental quarterback, I think they're going about it the right way. Surround them with professionals. Surround them with guys who know how to do the job. And more than playing, more than on the field, the off the field stuff, guys who've been through it, guys who know how the NFL works, sounding boards, as I said. One of the things I think they should have given to Nick Sirianni, which, by the way, I can't believe we're an hour plus into this show, Jody. And I have not said happy birthday to the coach of this football team. Oh, happy, Mr. Birthday. How happy, could you not get that out there? Happy 40th birthday, Nick Sirianni. Boy, man, all week I've been talking about it, and I forgot about it this morning. You 40, did. Jody. 40. What, as what, I what? said, as I said, you turn the page from 39 to 40. Now you can stop worrying about wisdom and experience. He's got it all. It's a miracle. It just shows up on your 40th birthday. Well, you may, maybe you'll get some knuckles next time you're out there on the grass with Nick Sirianni for wishing him happy 40. I wish him happy 40th too, but John is much more moved and motivated by it. <laughs> uh, but this is one of those that you and I are just not going to agree on. No. Nick Mullins brings nothing to the table. His experience. Ooh, you need his experience. You need him to lift. Jalen Hurts. I don't think you need it. He's going to teach him how to lose in the National Football League. No, thank you. I think they developed a plan. I think their plan makes some sense uh, to have a young quarterback sort of buttressed in the quarterback room with veteran quarterbacks, as opposed to the other end. Whereas if you have a veteran quarterback, yeah, I would want the developmental guy. They already have a developmental quarterback is what I'm trying to say. He happens to be the starter. Yeah. Once, and you and I look at that differently. Once you become the starting quarterback, and don't start with me. Yeah, I know Nick Sirianni hasn't named him the starting quarterback. We all know he's the starting quarterback. Once you've established yourself as a starting quarterback, which I believe he has, the word developmental is no longer attached to your name. I when think you're Trevor starter, Lawrence you're is not a developmental quarterback. I think every quarterback that was drafted, Zach Wilson is a developmental quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, every single one of them. I don't say just because they they tag the label starter on you, you know they have to develop, Jody. Come on. They're developmental quarterbacks. Nobody, nobody as a rookie in the NFL is not a developmental quarterback. You might have more talent than the seventh rounder. You might have a, 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 a just a, a, a better chance to succeed. But, man, you got to develop. Trevor Lawrence has got to develop. He's not, he's not stepping into Jacksonville as a star player who knows everything about playing the quarterback position in the NFL. I'm not saying knowledge, but I'm saying expectations are – yeah, you're supposed to be able to do things that can win football teams, uh, football games for your team. And I, I don't believe when your quarterback uh, t- touchdown interception ratio is basically one to one, like Nick Mullins is, that doesn't get it done. He's not developing into anything. He's a well, less he's than not, acceptable I'm, I'm not quarterback in this league. He's a backup quarterback in this league, but there's a role for backup quarterbacks in this league. There are 32 starters in this league. By definition, there are. 
there's going to be 32 guys showing up on week one of the NFL season labeled as starting quarterbacks, but they're not starting level quarterbacks. The bottom five or six could even be more. They're bad, and they probably shouldn't be starting in this league. There's a role for backup quarterbacks in this league, and you would rather have a competent backup quarterback like Nick Bowles. I, I just wanted to turn the page on him. I'm going back to him. Look, Nick Bowles isn't a starting quarterback in this league. Probably never was, to be honest, and that'll rankle some Eagles fans uh, to, to you know what. But he was a high-level backup, and if you needed him to win a game, as the Eagles needed him to win a number of games, and he got it done for them, that's, that's an important piece to have. And we go all the way back to quarterback factor again. That's what Howie was talking about. That's what he walked back. We value this position. We value this position to the point that we want somebody who's a backup that can play. They did it with Jalen Hurts. They did it with Joe Flacco, just different ways, young guy versus old guy. They did it with Josh McCown, oldest guy of all. They did it with Nick Bowles. Um, it's usually the veteran more than the rookie. Um, and, and to be honest, that's probably the way you want to go. Because when you're talking about backup quarterbacks, Jody, you're not talking about the Rams situation where they had bingo on Kurt Warner, where somebody can just go, Trent Green gets injured early in the season and you go on and the guy turns into a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's like winning the lottery. That never happens. Um, what you're looking for is somebody goes down late in the season, more the Nick Bowles, Jeff Hostetler type situations. Can somebody come in there and keep your head above water and even go to the biggest uh, stage of all and, and not be overwhelmed? That's what you're looking for. That's what you want. Generally, that's not going to be a young quarterback, to be honest. Well, uh, I'll play for the lottery ticket. You mentioned the uh, Rams with Kurt Warner coming in and taking over and becoming a Hall of Fame level quarterback. It was 20 years ago now, but the New England Patriots used a sixth round draft pick on a kid out of Michigan who was also buried as the third stringer on the Patriot bench his rookie year. And then he moved up to the number two spot and Andrew Bledsoe went down and the legend of Tom Brady began. Yeah, I want to roll the dice on that. I know there are many more by-the-wayside stories than Kurt Warner and Tom Brady. But Kurt Warner and Tom Brady happened. I guarantee you Nick Mullins is not that guy. That's not happening here in Philadelphia. It's never going to play out that way that if Jalen Hurts starts, isn't good enough, or gets hurt, Joe Flacco comes in, uh, doesn't get the job done, is just looking like an older gentleman who can't play in the league. And then Nick Mullins gets his chance leading the Philadelphia Eagles. And before you know it, there is a new sheriff in town. It's not happening with Nick Mullins. I'd rather take a guy who very well might never be able to do what Nick Mullins did, but has the potential, the possibility of him becoming the man here in Philadelphia that's what I'd rather have as my third string quarterback. 
Well, Jody, I agree with you 100%. I, I guarantee you as well that uh, Nick Mullins is not the next Tom Brady, is not the next Kurt Warner. But I'm going to go one farther. I also guarantee you Jake Fromm isn't as well. I feel comfortable. You don't that. You don't know that. I do. I know it. You might not know it, but I know it. I based can guarantee on, Based it. on what evidence? What has Jake Fromm done wrong in the league? I've seen him play you can make that statement Because I've got evidence that Nick Mullins can't. It's Wait, called it's, five it's, and it's, twelve and twenty-two touchdown passes and twenty-one interceptions. There's evidence that Nick Mullins no, isn't that guy. You, There's no evidence that Jake Fromm is. You're, you're confident in your evidence that that Nick Mullins uh, is not going to be the next Tom Brady. By the way, I'm laughing at this that we even put those two in the same in the same sentence. So I agree with you. But I'm very confident in the evidence I do have. That Jake Fromm playing at Georgia and beating out uh, Justin Fields and, and the evaluation process of what he went through. I'm very, very confident in my evidence that Jake Fromm isn't going to be a starting quarterback in this league. Never mind the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm very confident in that. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd rather I'd rather roll him out there sight unseen in the National Football League. He's never played a down in the NFL. Well, remember that's last a year. Argument, remember Jody. last I, year I, there I was no listen. preseason games played. Jody. So we Jody. never actually got to see him play. The unknown of Jeff Rom is better than the known of Nick Mullins. Jody. The unknown of Jake Fromm is better than Nick Mullins is a legitimate argument that I can listen to. That Jake Fromm might be the next Tom Brady is not a legitimate argument. And that's where I'm very comfortable saying that's not going to happen. I'm also very comfortable saying it's not going to happen for Nick Mullen. So it ultimately comes down, which again is the more valid discussion. Would you rather have Nick Mullins or would you rather have Jake Fromm? For this team at this particular time, I think they made the right decision. I, you could be right. Jake Fromm's better than Nick Mullins. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to Jake Fromm's the next Tom Brady or the next Kurt Warner. Never mind uh, uh, Tom Brady. The the potential of Jake Fromm becoming the next Tom Brady is point zero 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 one. The potential of Nick Mullins becoming the next Tom Brady is point zero 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 one and i'm playing to those odds i know and both of those odds suck you know but i will play we'll to get, the lesser we'll of get, the two i'll get alec hallaby hopefully i'll i'll talk to alec hallaby he's, yeah, he's tell, tell him to run some numbers on that one Analytics. i need a little analytical maybe, help here with my point maybe maybe we can get bill james on the show what they would tell you jody is that is completely, completely, statistically insignificant. No, I don't believe that. It's insignificant. When you get to zero point zero 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 zero, and however many zeros you want on there, statistically, that is insignificant. Point being, they're both not in a conversation. You can guarantee it. You can feel comfortable. Your first guarantee, you can feel comfortable in my guarantee feel very, very comfortable. I'm more comfortable saying that Nick Mullins is not going to be Tom Brady and Jake Fromm's not going to be Tom Brady 
then Landon Dickerson is going to sign. And I'm very comfortable on that. I'm very comfortable on that. Until it happens, we'll just <laughs> hold out on the possibility. All right, uh, we'll take a quickie time out here on Birds 365. Scheduled to join us next is Bob Glauber, uh, tremendous football writer, been doing it for years for Newsday up in New York, also football author. He's got a great football book out as well. Uh, Bob Glauber, scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mag and Mac guys here with you on Birds 365. Well, we appreciate your hopping aboard with us. 
We appreciate our next guest hopping aboard with us. His first time on Birds 365. Won't be his last if we can convince him to come back. We don't beat him up too bad this time. <laughs> um, outstanding football writer. He's been doing it for Newsdays in New York for years. And football author. Last time, uh, the book that he wrote, he was good enough to send me a copy of Guts and Genius, his uh, three-coach uh, football mantra with uh, uh, three of the all-time greatest in the history of NFL coaching. Bob Glauber jumps aboard with us here on Birds 365. How are you, Bobby G? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, good to see you, Bob. Uh, and you also, that? congratulations on the PFWA, Pro Football Writers of America Career Achievement Award. So that under your belt as well. Uh, so congratulations on that. Uh I do want to uh, steer the direction quickly to James Jones, because James is breaking news lately. First to Neil Hunter in Minnesota. Now he's telling everybody to relax with Aaron Rodgers. Is he correct? Uh, I think he is correct in that I think at the end of the day, when that day will be, we don't know. Aaron Rodgers will be under center for the Green Bay Packers this season. It's just a matter of getting from here to there, which is a big deal. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff that has kind of gone on simmering, I would say. it's You know, Aaron Rodgers is not an in-your-face kind of guy. He's very um, understated. But he lets you know how he feels, right? When he says it's yeah. a people business, he, he says it's a people's business. That means, hey, this guy over here stinks. <laughs> and you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it'll get worked out. What has to happen is, and, and really what, the final result will be is how long they're going to sign him to if they do extend him, you know, contract wise. Otherwise, if there's nothing done, I, I would think this would be his last year. Uh, I was surprised this pet. Well, actually I've been surprised twice in the last couple of weeks uh, where the Green Bay Packers have said things publicly that just seem to antagonize uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Why would you make an analogy of a former executive used to say, well, he's a complicated fellow. So (laughs) leave it at that. Aaron Rodgers is a complicated. Why would you pick a fight with your quarterback if you want to resolve the issues that you have with him by making a public statement like that? What was Mark May thinking? Yeah. You know, he is obviously on the spot here. And, you know, Murphy is a very thoughtful guy former player, former union chief, and now president of the Green Bay Packers. And he's got a lot going on, a lot riding on this. So I think, you know, the the incendiary word there was not complicated. It was fella, you know, (laughs) he's a complicated fella, isn't he? You know, like a little guy. Um, And Mark Murphy was going against his own advice. And that is, hey, when you have a situation like this, the less said, the better. And there's no doubt that the less said, the better let this thing kind of go on behind the scenes. And it has been going on behind the scenes. That I think is worth remembering that they have made several trips out to see Aaron Rodgers in person. They have tried to work this out through his agent. And, you know, it's been, it's been one thing after another in terms of behind the scenes stuff. But, you know, Rodgers has been there a long time. He has carried that franchise. And I think a lot of quarterbacks, and I've seen it in New York with Phil Simms. Um, I've seen it with, Joe Montana and Steve Young, they get not so much young because he didn't play all that much, but they get to what's what I call quarterback middle age. And there's a certain spot, and Brady had a little bit in New England. Um, there's a certain time in your career when 
done, accomplished a lot. You've won championships. And, you know, you get a little bit disillusioned. You know, you have your ideas. And if they're not listening to them, you get a little frustrated. And you say, you know what? Maybe the grass is a little greener. And you're seeing that more now. I think Tom Brady opened the floodgates with what he did. Now, he played 20 years in New England and worked at a deal where he could be a free agent after 20. So that's that's he gave whatever he had. But I think that that has really changed the landscape that quarterbacks more and more are now going to look to determine, you know, where their future lies. And I think Rodgers is in that group now. Bob, that's an interesting sort of way to phrase it, quarterback middle age. It seemed to be happening in Seattle with Russell Wilson a little bit, but they seem to have kissed and made up, at least for the short term. How difficult is it to deal with these quarterbacks in a more – I don't want to say it's NBA-like, but there certainly seems to be more player empowerment as we move forward in, in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think the Seahawks did a good job of being quiet. Now, P. Carroll is one of the most talkative guys that you're ever going to find in the NFL. But he kept it close to the vest. He never said anything antagonistic about Russell Wilson. And everything public that he said is, hey, he's our quarterback. We still believe in him. You know, we, we want to work this out if there's anything to be worked out. And he didn't even have to say that. So they did. they played it smart. Now, I think the NFL is becoming a little bit, there's an NBA, a little bit of a dynamic going on. I don't think it'll ever be total NBA because there are so few players in the NBA and difference makers are just so unusual and rare. And when they, you know, when, when LeBron wants to do something, he does it and, you know, the world follows and, and, and things change, the landscape changes. It's, it's just not that way in football because there's so many players and, you know, players do come and go. So I think that, it will be safe from that point of view in terms of there won't be this willy nilly um, movement going on. But, but then again, you know, this, this quarterback class of merry-go-round has been unprecedented in part because of quarterbacks wanting to determine their own future. There was some, you know, like uh, the, the trade from Los Angeles, you know, Stafford had enough in Detroit. Um, so there is that, but I don't, I don't think it's going to fundamentally change the NFL. Um, but you're going to see this, you know, a, a little bit more as we go along. In these type situations, you have the quarterback, you have the team he plays for, you have their relationship, there are issues, there are hurdles. And then you have where the Houston Texans are at with Deshaun Watson. There's a third party there and it's called courts. It's called uh, civil court and lawsuits and the like, which makes it that much more difficult to decipher and the NFL has to take a stand in this as well because they're doing their own investigation, but they don't necessarily want to come out with a stance till after court cases are settled. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's a big mess down there in Houston. Is camp the only thing that will push the information and the uh, stuff that we need to know along? Is this just going to sit out there and fester until someone has to make a decision, be it Deshaun Watson showing up, be it the Texans asking to have him put on a suspended list, be in the NFL acting? How does this shake out? Do we just sit here for the next month and wait to find out? Yeah, Jody, I think we sit here for the next month and wait to find out. Nick Casario basically, you know, threw out that, that tidbit uh, yesterday and saying, you know, there will be a decision made before training camp. I suspect the way it's going and the way the NFL has 
acted before that he ends up on the commissioner's exempt list. And maybe the NFL looks to the opening of training camp as a marker to, to say, okay, you know, camp's going to start. We have something going on here. We're going to make a decision. Um, I don't know that they, you know, Roger Goodell has suspended players before, before the court cases have been completed. So he has that, you know, remedy if he, if he so chooses to use it. So I, I do think that, you know, he has played his last down in Houston. And I suspect all things considered that he would end up on the commissioner's exempt list. And then maybe they would try to work out a trade. So, you know, the trade is the trade potential is if there's a, there's a team out there, you know, and Denver has been mentioned as a place that he wouldn't mind playing that is willing to make a trade. I, I think that would happen, but there's no guarantee that a trade would mean that he comes off that list. So I, I think right now it's looking at um, he, he will, he will just be sitting and, and waiting for, for something to happen court wise or NFL investigation wise. And in the meantime, be on that, on, on that exempt list. Yeah, Bob, you mentioned Nick spoke yesterday. So that was going to be my next question as well. So I'll, I'll kind of phrase it this way. Because I agree with you, the most likely scenario is commissioner's exemplist at the start of training camp. However, does another team like Denver, or we're in Philadelphia, uh, whisper, whisper, uh, <laughs> does somebody look at this as an opportunity to get a super talented potential top five quarterback for pennies on the dollar, would would a team in this league take that risk? That's a really good question, John, and and I hesitate to answer because it's it's complicated. I I don't know that. I, I think a team would have to go to the NFL and quietly ask, "Look, we're interested in trading for Deshaun Watson. Tell us what would happen if we do make the trade. What is the adjudication of this case?" when would he be able to play basically? So if a team gets the message from the NFL that, you know, we could see it last in the entire year that we, we don't know. And then on top of that, if a suspension is handed down, we've seen that before players on the exempt list, then a suspension is handed down. So he's going into 2022, not being able to play. He'd be able to practice, but wouldn't be able to play in games. That's a little dicey. So I, I think it would be probably if the if a team looking into a trade gets the vibe that he's not going to be let back on the field, I, I don't think you'd make that trade, even with pennies on the dollar, because you're talking about, you know, you're going to go an entire year not having a guy and, and go through a season with, um, you know, uh, the, the starting quarterback saying, answering questions about, well, you know, what, what's my future going to be? So I, I would think that I would lean against that at this point assuming that he's going to not be allowed to play for a fairly prolonged period of time. Bob, interesting situation we have coming up this year in the uh, NFC East or the NFC least, depending on how you want to describe it before the season gets underway. We've got two teams with quarterbacks that will be given a chance, starting job, it's all theirs, go out and kill it. But if they don't, the teams seem to look to be ready to go in another direction, and that would be the Eagles, and at least for my money, the New York Giants, because I have not been wowed by Daniel Jones at all. I know they used a high first-round pick to get him, but his play has not excited me. They have upgraded the weapons around him this upcoming year, so it looks to me like with Jones, it's a uh, make-it-or-break-it year. I know that's the case 
with the quarterback here in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. They're going to give him this year. They're rooting him home. They want him to prove he's a franchise quarterback. But if he's not, the Eagles have certain things in place that they can make a change. Which yeah, of I these? Think no, I think it's a fair read, Jody. And I think it's an accurate read. Um, Hurts, I mean, it is a make or break for both of them. And, you know, if you want to say, should we say make or break for Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> Just kidding. It's always um, make or break. It's, it's the 10th consecutive year of make or break for Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's great. Um, but it, but I think, like, Hertz has a little less um, – it's a little more tenuous with him to me. Second-round pick, not as invested in terms of that – um, I, I just like I love Jalen Hurts as a competitor. Love him, loved him at, at Alabama, how he handled himself, and he's just just all class. And you you root for a guy like that. Um, I, I just don't know about the talent. You know the the NFL talent level of of a Jalen Hurts. Can it sustain him? I, I I think the answer is no right now. But show me, Daniel Jones. I mean they they drafted him in the top ten. They have invested <laughs> a fortune in weapons around him Kenny Galladay being the most recent and uh Kadarius Tony as a first round pick of wide receiver so this is make or break for Daniel Jones in my opinion and even if they say and Joe Judge has played this one very smart he has defended his quarterback at all times he knows that though that you you've got to produce here especially when everything around you is made to succeed you know Saquon Barkley coming back offensive line a little bit of a question but um, those two, those two situations are, are absolutely worth monitoring. Um, just a bit of a different dynamic because maybe because of where they were drafted and where the upside is with each of those guys. Um, nationally, Bob, not much is expected, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, what power rankings are this time of year and, and what they're worth, but nonetheless, a, a number of high profile people have a bottom five. Maybe it, if they're, being really optimistic, they'll put him at 23-24. Does it just come down to the to the coach and the quarterback? I'm Nick Sariani, happy birthday again. Turns 40 today. A little bit out there from an energy level. Uh, how is that playing nationally? And then you mentioned a little bit about Hurts. Is it just come down to people don't believe in the coach and the quarterback when it comes to the Eagles? I think it's pretty much it. You know, Sirianni is just an unknown quantity, entity. Nobody heard of him. Now, nobody heard of Andy Reid before he got there and he did, you know, he, he went on to a Hall of Fame career. So, you know, this can happen. And just because you haven't heard of someone doesn't mean they can't succeed. Now, Sirianni with that first press conference is off to a little bit of a rocky start. And, you know, it, it, it takes a little time to to get over that in terms of nationally. You know, the guys around him, you see, okay, he's He's kind of he's going to settle into it, um, but it is a league of coaches and quarterbacks, John and Jody. That it's just it's just gotten to that more and more over the years when offenses are, are carrying the day in terms of how games are played. You know, back in the day, defenses. You know, Buddy Ryan's teams against Bill Parcells' teams. That's what, what what's going to determine that win. Which defense plays better? It's just it's just not that way anymore. So it is a league of coaches and quarterbacks. Questions about both for the Eagles. And I don't think those questions will be answered until uh, in a positive way, until they can actually go out and prove that they can win games and win games consistently in what is right now a, a very weak division. 
let me follow up on one of the two individuals that you touched on as per John's question. That's head coach Nick Sirianni. Uh, again, uh, Bob wrote a book uh, a couple of years back, uh, Guts and Genius, following uh, Bill Parcells, Bill Walsh, and uh, Joe Gibbs, three guys who went on to have Hall of Fame coaching careers. <clears throat> but you did start with their humble beginnings as head coaches in the National Football League. Uh, Walsh was known because of his collegiate achievements. Gibbs, not so much. Parcells outside of New York, probably not so much. Is there any link you can make to these guys, to Nick Sirianni, that sometimes unknown is a good thing, that you kind of sneak up on everybody, and before you know it, you're a Hall of Fame coach? I, I know I'm reaching here, but I'm trying for Nick Sirianni's sake on his birthday. That's okay. Happy birthday, Nick Sirianni. And, you know, yes, years years ago, before you were born, there were three coaches who were like came from out of nowhere and Hall of Fame career. So hold on to that one. All right. When you blow out the candles, think of those guys. But, but Jody, it's true. Those guys, you know, that's why they call them unlikely coaches. And people say, Well, how could you call them unlikely? Well, no, they're not unlikely now. They're in the whole right. thing. Of course. Yeah. But at the time. Joe Gibbs is 0-5 his first season. Bill Parcells goes 3-12-1. They are ready to fire him if Howard Schnellenberger is available contractually. And Bill Walsh went 2-14. He thought he was going to get fired midway through his second season. So, you know, it's and that's back when the pressure wasn't as much as it is now. So you, you need a little patience. Now, those guys had patience. It was different NFL. You could build your teams differently and more patiently. It is now instantaneous. In this league, it's what have you done for me today, you know, times times 10. So Sirianni absolutely has his work cut out for him. Um, Frank Reich, I'm sure, has told him everything about what he's going to face as a head coach and as a head coach in Philadelphia. There's nothing quite like it. I think it's tougher to coach in Philadelphia than it is in New York. I, I truly do because of the intensity, the expectation, um, the attention that is paid on that team. Compared to, you know, it's, it's it's spread out a little bit in New York. You know, there's nine pro teams. You know, in football season, it's it's the Eagles and everybody else. And it's very tough, very intense. Um, Andy Reid was a special guy to be able to kind of weather it, come through it. And then by the end, you know, he was he was done. He knew it. The team knew it. And then he, he goes on and, and builds it yeah. back up. And he's going to the Hall of Fame. Bob, obviously you're in New York, so you're closest to – uh, a second-year head coach and a rookie head coach with the Giants and Jets. So how are things going for Joe and Robert? What do you see from them as far as developing uh, on the job? Obviously very early yeah. uh, for, for Jody's Jets. Yeah, well, Salah, I think, is going to be a quality head coach. The question is, how does he you know, attack that learning curve like there is for every head coach? He's a smart guy. Players like him. Players gravitate toward him. He's a good defensive influence. He's not calling plays, which I think helps him to kind of manage the entire team. That was a huge problem for Adam Gase. I'm, guys, you would never have believed watching practice with an Adam Gase coach team, he spent all the time with the offense, did not even talk to Greg Williams. It was so weird. And that was really, that was traumatizing to the ownership. And and, and they wanted a CEO. Now, Salah's nobody's a CEO. It's You develop into that. But Salah is willing to just say, all right, I won't call the plays. Jeff Ulbrich will do it. So I think he's going to be good. And, you know, Zach Wilson, if he's good, this is going to be a combination that we'll see for a long time. 
Judge really acquitted himself very well last year. He's, you know, being a Philly guy, he knows um, what the deal is. He's got that tough toughness mentality. He, he loves the Giants as a franchise, you know, after, you know, purging himself of his childhood allegiances. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a, he's a straight shooter, and he has earned the respect of the team, the fans, and, and the media as well because he – He'll just go out there and take it. He's the same guy every day, and, and that's very, very helpful for his situation. Knowing your coaching expertise and your ability to uh, uh, know what has happened, what can happen, what will happen, I'll give you this question. Will we ever see Doug Peterson on an NFL sideline again? Uh, nice when you've got a Super Bowl ring, and that's a pretty yeah. damn big accomplishment. You always love to get that second one. Uh, unceremoniously let go here in Philadelphia. He's getting paid this year. Doesn't have to sweat it. But do you think Dougie P gets another NFL head coaching job at some point down the line? I, I would say yes, Jody. I think there's a lot to like in Doug Peterson. Look, we we all saw how how it went, you know it went off the rails, and it was it was terrible by the end. Uh, he had lost control, but I think in the right situation. Like an Andy Reid, where he gets you know synced synced up with the front office, and there is an energy and a synergy there that that helps him. So I think coaching wise, man, that was as aggressive a coach during that Super Bowl year. That was as good a coaching job as there has been in the NFL, winning with a backup like that and beating a coach for the ages and a team for the ages, and scoring at will. That was like seven on seven drill for God's sake. And I think that the Patriots learned a little bit that, you know, their, their defensive problems really haunted them. But I, I, I got to believe that if he gets rested and recharged and there is a situation that is, a, I would say, a veteran general manager who kind of can can weather a few bumps early on would take a Doug Peterson. And I suspect that he will coach again. Bob, uh, you brought up something interesting I, I want to go down because you did write the book. It bothers Day coming up, so I want to plug it again. It's been out for oh, a while, yeah. but it's a great book, uh, Guts and Genius, story of three unlikely coaches, Bill Parcells, Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs. So everybody should pick it up. But you mentioned CEO coaches, Bob. I've always been, uh, from the outside looking in, I've always said, why aren't there more CEO coaches? And it was Tom Coughlin who told me, you can't be a CEO immediately because you got to put your your imprint on the organization. To me, it makes more sense for a young coach uh, to 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 encompass everything and make sure everybody's doing what they wanted to do. You just mentioned Adam Gase. Where am I wrong on that? Why aren't there more CEO coaches from the get go? There's a couple of reasons, John. One is that coaches are hired for what they have done and what their specialty has been. And it's trending much more toward offensive coaches. So um, an offensive coach is going to get, to get hired because he was good with his quarterback. He was good with his offense. And that's what you want. I, I go back to, and I'm, I'm going to go back to Mike Holmgren and just, he, he said something very interesting about that. So the coach has that kind of specialty that he wants to impart and you can't do that as a CEO. You're giving it, no matter how much influence you have, you're not calling the plays if you're the CEO. You've got to trust your offensive coordinator. And the second thing is that, you know, you've got to be able to, like, adjust. There's so many things that come at you as a head coach. 
You can have 20 things written down on a piece of paper that this is what I want to accomplish today. And then five things are going to happen that came from out of the blue. So it's just a dizzying set of circumstances. And I think coaches take a while. Now I go back to Holmgren and he said something very interesting that he believes to this day. And I, I, I think a lot of him, he's, he's a very thoughtful guy. And he says of coaches, offensive coaches in particular, do not give up play calling. That is what got you there. Gut it out, withstand the pressure, and trust what's inside yourself. And don't, you know, uh, succumb to that push to be the CEO. That's what got you there. Go with what you know, and it'll work out better from there. So I, I think there is something to that. Now, every coach develops differently over time. You know, like Walsh had to call plays. And it, it drove literally drove him insane. I mean, he was a, he was a genius. And he was brilliant, but it 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 short circuited his mind. You know, you just can't do it over a long, long period of time. Um, you know, Vermeil uh, burned himself out every time. I think about that time when he he had the epiphany when he had to quit. You know that one? <laughs> I don't give us that. One. Oh. Um, well, and I confirmed this with him. He was uh, just burning out toward the end, yeah. and he. He, he, he didn't have a lot of time and he had to go to the bathroom and he was eating lunch and he, and he brought a hoagie into the bathroom and he's sitting down doing his business, eating a hoagie and saying, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I, that was the moment he realized he had to get out. Uh, did, did you actually find out where the hoagie was from? Because that could tell us a whole bunch if we knew if it was Wawa or was... <laughs> didn't exist back then yeah. okay i mean and i and i had to you know how about the, hey coach i gotta i gotta ask you something i gotta confirm something is this true he goes yeah it's true <laughs> that's great that is. I, I love dick for but that's it just shows you the intensity of coaching and that's way back when he was ahead of his time in terms of bringing attention to the burnout factor so there's just a lot that goes into it john and yeah. Yeah. You, you want to be a CEO. You want to overlook everything, but you know you, you have to be mindful of what got you there. Bobby, great stuff. We appreciate you hopping on board with us today. You know we're going to tap into you during the season when the Eagles and the Giants are getting prepared sure. for an NFC East war this upcoming year. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk again down the road. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. That is Bob Glaber from Newsday. Been covering the league forever. Hall of Fame voter uh, and. Gave us a good Dick Vermeil story going out the door. That's a that, great story. That always that scores is. points with Eagles uh -huh. fans. If you got a good Dick Vermeil story to sell, uh, you will always be welcome back here on Birds 365. All right, McMullen and McDonald, the last couple of minutes, we'll come back, put a bow on the show. Keep it here. I get scared sometimes of a lot of things. Joining in decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, clock's ticking on us here on Birds 365. McDonald and McMullen hanging with you. Uh, thank Bob McGarver for coming on. Bob's a good dude. I've been having him on as a guest for years when I was up in New York uh, covering the Giants. Uh, always good to get Glaber on to get his big blue opinions. We got his overall opinion today on the National Football League. And I liked his opinion on Dougie P. Because, yes, Bob wrote this great book about coaches and getting off to slow starts and becoming Hall of Famers. Hopefully that is Nick Sirianni with you with the Eagles. Uh, but I did want to get his take on Doug Peterson. John, see if you can uh, follow my line of logic here. It's a veritable lock that Doug Peterson is going to get another coaching job in the National Football League. Why is that? Uh, the Lombardi Trophy. It still covers cachet, man. That That is cachet. When you win one of those things, people take that seriously. And somebody other than Jeffrey Lurie will say, I'm going to bring a Super Bowl winning coach into my, my building. You are probably right, but I'm going to go another reason, as a matter of fact. Um, who was the first head coach that Jeff Laurie had when he bought the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, had? Uh, who, who was here before Ray? Uh, Rich Kotite? Rich Kotite. 
and it didn't end well. No. Yet he did get another shot as a head coach, did he not? Yes, he did. The New With York the, Jets. Yes, you're one, one of the low points of my life. But okay. uh, times have changed, though. I hear what you're saying. Rich Kotite won some games here, too, by the way. He did. Uh, he was much better here than he was with the Jets. Oh. Um, but I hear what you're saying. He was wholly unprepared. By the way, who would you say is a Jets fan worse, Kotite or Gase? It's a, a flat-footed tie. And, yeah, uh, it's tough. Just I would go Gase because he was just so maddeningly uh, just clueless about how to do the easy parts of the job. I think Rich wasn't a very good coach. I think Adam Gase was like bad at everything else, uh, including coaching, as far as dealing with people, dealing with players, just everything. It's weird. Gase was actually more painful because, yes, he had a power base that Kotite never had, and he just turned his nose up at it and was a jerk about it. So, yeah, he was more painful, but they were both just hideously bad as head coaches. But uh, Kotite, despite losing his job, got another shot, followed by Ray Rhodes who won when he first took over here, eventually went bad, got fired, did get another shot. People forget that the Packers hired him. Yeah. His one-year stay in Green Bay, they were actually 8-8. Eight eight. They weren't terrible, but he got all of one year, and then the Packers moved on from him. He was followed by Andy Reid, who was here for a very long period of time, and got another head well, coach. you knew he was getting after. another spot. Worked pretty damn well for Andy Reid, did yeah. it not? And then he was followed by Chip Kelly, who got unceremoniously pushed out the door here. And what happened? He immediately got another coaching job. Much to my disbelief, the 49ers snapped him up immediately. By the way, Jody, that was unbelievable. That Not only that Chip got a second chance, but he got a second chance right away. Boom. Right away. That oh. was unbelievable. I still can't explain that one. Nor, nor nor, could I. So I am telling you, it is only a matter of time before uh, uh, just I'm talking about under the Jeff Lurie ownership. Rich Kotite got another chance. Ray Rhodes got another chance. Andy Reid got another chance. Even Chip Kelly got another chance. Oh, yes. Doug Peterson at some point is going to get another chance. I think most of Eagle Nation will be rooting wholeheartedly for him. Well, if Rich Kotite got a second chance, Ray Rhodes got a second. And by the way, Ray was a pretty good coach. I don't want to put him in that category. But Chip Kelly and his inability to deal with people get a second chance. Can you imagine if Doug Peterson doesn't get a second chance? How weird would that be? Right. How the only the be? only one to actually accomplish, which is the goal year in and year yeah. out, win the Super Bowl. One of them got it done. His name, Doug Peterson. He's got to get another chance. And by the way, I'm Ray Rhodes. I don't know if I've ever said this with you on Birds 365. I know I've said it on uh, various other uh, broadcast outlets I have. All the years I've been here in Philadelphia, on the air, even New York, put all my stuff together. The coach who gave the best speech the day that he was hired for me was Ray Rhodes. Not Nick Sirianni? Not Nick Sirianni. Sorry. Um <laughs> I, I and sitting in the WIP studios, I really wanted to go put a, a pads and a helmet on and go out and run to a wall from Ray Rhodes. He gave one of the most inspiring uh, day of hire speeches that I've ever heard any coach ever give, certainly on the football side. 
And uh, you never know how it's going to work out. You're right. Ray had some success here before he went elsewhere. But I, I he sucked me in that day. Uh, yeah. and, these, uh, these brick walls behind us, Jody, I, I'm not going to run through it for Ray Rhodes. I'm going to run through it because Nick Sirianni will let me beat him. Let me beat him in rock, paper, scissors. So yeah. happy birthday, coach. Looking forward for the piss, fist bump at the opening of training camp, and we'll get it going. Bob Glauber, though, said it again, Jody. It's been a theme. All the pessimism surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles, it's about the coach and the quarterback. Right, we'll see if the coach and the quarterback can stick at everybody when the season gets underway. We're still weeks away, but we'll be here every single day leading up to the start of that football season. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Right back at you again in 22 hours here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.